AMB Properties is Quincy's largest apartment rental company with hundreds of units available. They offer short-term and long-term rentals with one up to four bedroom apartments. AMB Properties meets the needs of its tenants with care, compassion, and a quality of service that exceeds expectations. AMB Properties also has a convenient tenant app for you to do your payments or make repair requests. Give them a call today. A&B Properties, 217-919-8080, Quincy. Very happy that you are here. And I want to kind of talk. You saw, some, you saw some of my notes. Yep. And the C.S. Lewis quote is kind of verbose. I am going to read it at some point in time because I think it's kind of a neat thing. Um, I know what you do. I know what kind of work that you do. And anybody who's watching this pod, when they see you, they're like, oh my gosh, it's Tyler. <laughs> Tyler Myers. Um, so you're my very good friend. I'm glad to be that. And we met about four years ago. The great pain shown. Um, for those of for those listening that don't know who Payne Schoen is, I mean, he's quite, he's quite a man. He's a very good person. Uh, he kind of brought you and I together and a number of other people together. And he does this daily. It's what he does, right? It's what he does. It's his gifting. <laughs> he's, a, he's got a pretty neat gift. And uh, my wife, Rachel, went to the Live to Lead um, event at Madison Park. Yep, just a of which, weeks ago. which you are the lead minister. Yep. And um, is Mad Madison Park seems to be a pretty special place. Um, and I know that when my wife went there, she really liked being there. And I think I think you were right in the door when she walked in and you said, "Hey, it's been a long time." And Rachel goes, "It's been one year." <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if you remember that, yeah, or not, yeah. but she kind of got a kick out of it. So. Uh, <laughs> You're, you're somebody that uh, I've wanted to have on this pod ever since we started doing it. I mean, you're deep in, in the list here. And so the fact that you're doing it now, I, I'm very happy about it. Um, one of the reasons why I brought you on, aside from just, you, you have a lot of knowledge. Okay, well, hold on a second. So you're Some also very, <laughs> you're very humble. You're going to say, you know, I take that however you want to take it. Um, there's knowledge and there's wisdom. You seem to have wisdom on top of knowledge. And I like the, I like the uh, old saying, you know, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. So did I say that right? That's I think good. I, um, so that's one of my favorites. And I think whenever I think of that, uh, you're the person I think of that has a lot of wisdom. And I've got, can I read this C.S. Lewis quote? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and if Bob's listening, uh, he, he may like this too because he's, kind of, he's, he's a deep thinker and he's a, he's a smart man. And uh, there's, lots of, um, there's lots of ways to go about life. And I think without kind of like shooting directly into the abyss of uh, whether or not there's a God or whether or not... Um, religion is important or whether or not, um, you know, there are believers and disbelievers of everything. I mean, some people don't believe in the color blue, yep. maybe because they can't see blue. Okay. Um, but blue probably exists and it, it exists on a spectrum. There's objectivity there and there's subjectivity there. And life is 
kind of confusing sometimes if people don't, if they're not grounded mm-hmm. or, or if they don't know where true north is. So I want to, you already read this in the green room, but I'm going to read it out loud to our listeners. This is from the, our, the uh, author, C.S. Lewis. Supposing there was no intelligence behind the universe, no creative mind. In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. It is merely that when the atoms inside my skull happen, for physical or chemical reasons, to arrange themselves in a certain way, this gives me, as a byproduct, the sensation I call thought. But, if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? It's like upsetting a milk jug and hoping that the way it splashes splashes itself will give you a map of London. But if I can't trust my own thinking... Of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I cannot believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. Um, What do you think, Tyler, about people who struggle with their lives? Is there a God? Is there not? Um, Um... the ones that have pain, even the ones that have pleasure. Mm-hmm. How do you, because you, this is your life's work. Mm-hmm. And whenever we're sitting around our round table once in a while, uh, you give your thoughts on life. But what is going, what is going on? <laughs> what, is, what is this? Yeah. What is happening? That's a great thought. The question is, when you look at something like this, is like, most of us aren't atheist, but all of us have atheist moments, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and atheism is oftentimes, you know, we just want to attach it to a thinking, but often we're more than just our thoughts. We're our feelings. We're our behaviors, right? We're a holistic being. And so when you're starting to think through, like, is somebody an atheist? Am I an atheist? Am I going to head down an atheistic path? You have to sometimes ask yourself, Uh, Am I having an atheistic moment, and why am I having that moment? Is it because my feelings are disconnected from God? And that could be like, God let me down, right? I feel like God just up and abandoned me in this moment. I asked him to do this, and he didn't deliver. That's a feeling. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, is that going to then impact my thinking? Is that going to then impact my behavior? And some people are atheistic in moment because they know in their head they believe in God. They even feel like they want to pursue God, but their behaviors disconnect them from God, right? And so I think uh, it's a multi-layered conversation that leads somebody down an atheistic path. And oftentimes, it's figuring out the root of that. Do you know who Megan Rapinoe is? I do not. She is an American uh, woman's uh, soccer player. Okay. And she is one of the most popular um, female soccer players um, in the country. As a matter of fact, she, I mean, maybe in the world because she's very outspoken. Anyway, a couple of days ago, she was playing soccer. And it was, it was supposed to be, I think, maybe her last game something like that. She has retired from the U.S. Women's Nationals team, and she got really seriously hurt and tore up her Achilles while she was playing. And in the post-interview, she said, and this is like all over Twitter X right now, like all over the news waves, um, and she goes, this is proof there isn't a God. 
And it reminds me of what you're saying where she's having, <laughs> so I don't think she believed in God before she tore her Achilles. And now that cements that feeling for her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when, absolutely. when someone, they don't believe in God because is it kind of a ridiculous notion? So talking to, I, I have atheist friends and uh, they think it's ridiculous. They think that they they think that humans are inventing things to make themselves feel better. Absolutely, and I have atheist friends too, right? Like, uh, and again, I think it goes down to uh, some breakdowns in thinking or feeling or behavior that lead us down that path. And it's kind of interesting when you start walking down that path. You ask questions like we all have to do in our life, and uh, the question for that lady is like why do you feel a need to blame God? If there is no God, then why in the world are we even having that conversation? Why Why does she have that intuitive feeling inside of her that she has to go on and say, this is proof that there is no God, right? Like, there's that internal thing, and I think that's what most people who have an atheistic moment, like, God, my feelings don't sense that you're here, we're able to then go back and say, yeah, but what is it in us that calls upon God when things aren't working right? Yeah. What do you think about um, the advance of science proving the existence of God? For example, um, you know, a long time ago, when we're talking about when, when uh, the ancient texts, you know, and you and I talked about how I want to refer to the good book as um, a big, thick book that is inside of it a collection of books. Absolutely. And I have my own belief system about it. I have my own, uh, I'm gonna use the F word, and I hope no one bleeps this out, but I'm gonna say faith, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it's this idea where I, I kind of think that faith is a kind of a gift, and I know some people that um, have it, some people don't, but this idea that, um, going back to science, where the good book, the ancient texts, will let's call it the Bible, was written a very long time ago, yep. okay? And it was written before Einstein. Yep. It was written before we launched rockets to the moon, before internal combustion engines, I mean, a very long time ago. And humans have come, um, <laughs> we can debate if humans have come a long way since in the, in the past 5,000 years. Yep. In some ways we have. Absolutely. In some ways not. We haven't. <laughs> right. Yep. One of the, how do you think, do you, do you think that science can start to begin to help prove the existence of God? Or how do we prove the existence of God? And you may say, Frank, we don't need to prove it. We don't need to prove it per se. What, you know, do you ever wrestle yeah. with talking to people about this? Well, I think first of all, uh, some of us need it proved to us, right? But it doesn't matter whether we prove it or not. God exists and God created and God does the things that God does with or without us agreeing on how he did it, when he did it, why he did it. Uh, but then some would say, yeah, but that's not fair. Well, I would say, well, who are you to say God is or isn't fair, right? That makes you all of a sudden God. 
So I think those are the circular arguments that come with a conversation like that. But when we're talking about, you know, is science proving God or does God prove science? What does that look like? It is an ancient text, but it's not a science book. And I think sometimes people want to read the sacred writings, the Bible, and say like, well, see, this doesn't show science. It, well, but it also doesn't take away science. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that keeps us from exploring the giftedness of intelligence and all of that. And I think that that's where there's been progression uh, that's healthy for faith and science to see where do we align. And I think that's caused a lot of people to come to the place of going, oh, maybe some things that we've thought about in the past specific to science, we were just trying our best to disprove the Bible, where now it seems like people are saying, man, there does appear to be intelligent design right? Yes. And that would be a place where I would suggest that the Bible didn't take away anything from science. It didn't stop us from pursuing science. And if we would just pursue science and look where we see the alignment in scriptures, we could all agree that, wow, this place is likely intelligently designed, and that means somebody had to do it, right? And I think the Bible and science align way more than people want them to align but we've grown up in a system where it's like, well, we have to prove one or the other. I think it can be both. Okay. So do you think it's okay sometimes when people, I'm going to use the term marry just for M-A-R-R-Y, marrying science with religion. Is that a problem? And generally speaking, so there's, it's weird. It's kind of like, um, for example, if, if the ancient text, the Holy Bible, if it says something like, um, in the beginning, um, there was nothing. Then, you know, essentially, you know, universe meaning one verse. Yep. Let there be light, yep. and then the universe began. Okay, a spark. Um, there was nothing. Then there was something. Mm-hmm. And then science says, "Oh yes, that's called the big the Big Bang." You know, that's kind of a neat thing where the Big Bang theory kind of. Um, I, I don't know how old that theory is but I think the Bible said it first, yep. you know, or if you're talking about, if the Bible says um, the earth was created in six days, it's like, okay, is it possible that a day for God is not a 24 hour earth day? I mean, where does the, where do different churches stand on that? Do some churches and some people, individuals, is there a wide variety of people? So do, do, do some people think, nope, it's six days? Like, and then do some people say, oh, it's, it is six God days, but also a day could be a billion years to God. Like, how does it work I mean, it, in terms of... Two pieces to this conversation. The first one being like there's primary issues of faith and secondary issues of faith. And for me, uh, some of these things are secondary issues, like things that we can dream about collaborate about disagree on and it doesn't shake our faith right it's like oh god can do it this way or this way but then there's the other piece that i think sometimes when we try to like read genesis 1 we're just reading it scientifically and the bible's not a science book right so we have to ask ourselves what's the literature there and if the bible is more of a literary work a historical work and a divine work And so you have to weave those three things together to say what's happening here. And if you're trying to, out of a literary work, a historic work, and a divine work, figure out your science, you're probably going to get your science wrong or you're going to get the Bible wrong. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so in that yeah. space, I think uh, some people are trying to take a literary work and make a science equation out of that. And I think God gave us plenty of room to read that very honestly and accurately within the literacy, the histor- historicity, and a faith work, a divine work, and still go like, but let's let science prove some things to us. Let's give space for that. And so... I don't think you have to sit back and go, okay, this is one literal day. I'm going to have to fix everything on that. And yet, I think one of the things that you do that you're really, really gifted at that I think Jesus uh, did a lot of is peak curiosity. When Jesus was teaching, he tried to expand people's thinking, right? He asked a lot of questions. Matter of fact, Jesus, when somebody would ask him a question, his go-to was to ask them a question. He asked some hundreds of questions, and when he got asked questions, under a half a dozen times, does he actually answer the question directly? He wanted people to think. He wanted people to feel. He wanted people to explore, and I think sometimes we try to get into the Bible and find all of the facts because we think in a Western world, like, I got to get the facts, the facts, the facts. What if the Bible has facts in it without a shadow of a doubt? It is truth, but it's also there to help open our minds. And I think we have a mind for a reason. I think we have emotions for reasons. I think we have behaviors for reasons. When we put those things together and then look through a spiritual lens and say, how do these things work well together the way God designed us, we can then have a lot of fun exploring things like, is this an old earth, a young earth? Am I an atheist, a non-atheist? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So how hard have you have you personally had to work um, to gain faith? And maybe we should kind of talk about faith for a second. And I hope that if there's anybody listening that has faith, then we'll be able, we'll be able to expand on that. But if people hear the word faith and they're turned off by it, because I, I really think there was a time in my life, um, probably, um, probably during college, um, where I faith was not high on my list of priorities. It wasn't a thing that I had. And I don't know if you can actually just take possession of it in that way, but I don't feel like I had it. Do you remember, was there ever a time where you had to work for it or um, have you always had it? Well, I think there's times, kind of like those atheist moments I was talking about earlier, like there's times when your faith uh, is weak. But one of the things I think that um, faith is a very broad term. It's kind of like using the word love. When I say I love you, Frankie, versus when I tell my wife I love her, that's two different levels of love, right? Okay. Faith is can be in that same platform, and I think that's one of the confusing things about faith. And so if we were to go back to the sacred writings, we use the word faith in the English, but most often when you read the word faith in the scriptures, it's actually faithfulness. It's pointing to the character of God. And so God has always been faithful, And so when we're looking at faith, it's a matter of do we trust that God has been faithful, is faithful, and will continue to be faithful? Well, I trust that about God, but I don't always trust my faith. I don't trust that I'm always going to be faithful because I look at my past and I go, yeah, I've screwed a lot of things up, right? And so my personal faith journey can be weak at times. I've screwed this up, but that should not discredit the fact that God has always been faithful. 
And I think we get those two things mixed up. We put the blame on God as if my faith being weak is God being weak. He's always been faithful. It has been my lack of faith in him or the recognition of his faithfulness that has made my faith weak. Interesting. So, so okay, that's an interesting way of putting it. I don't know if I've heard that before. Um, there's, But do you ever... Um, you don't strike me as a weak faith kind of a person. You seem to have a lot of faithfulness okay. towards towards God. Okay, that's my um, that that's what I think yep. about you. In the deep in the deep and distant past, did you ever have a time where your faith was weaker? Maybe you didn't have no faith, but it was weaker. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, man. Like, uh, one of the things that was the hardest for me personally as I was trying to mature in my understanding of God and where I was going to see God and how I was going to follow Jesus, uh, and was I even going to think about listening to the Holy Spirit, I had to do a lot of wrestling in the Old Testament. If you've ever read the Old Testament, there's some stuff in there you're like, oh, I don't know about that, right? Um, those seem like tales or stories that may not be accurate, and I think that those are the places where you do have to align your thinking, your feeling, and your behavior and go in and do some deep work. And uh, one of the things that I think is intriguing about faith is uh, a lot of times we are scared to have a lack of faith because we're then feeling like we're distant from God, right? Like if I lack faith in God or I'm unfaithful, then I must be super distant from God. But if you read through this ancient text, this sacred work, this divine work that the Bible unfolds, God actually honors people who have moments of weak faith, but stick around to keep listening for the voice of God. Think about Job right? Job literally gets tested. The Lord puts him there to be tested. He gets tested and he takes it and he takes it and he takes it. And for many of those tests, he would be considered faithful. Well, that he, what happened to Job? Okay. So, well, Job um, was a man that was standing right with God. And then the Lord said, go ahead, test him. Evil one, devil, go ahead, have at him. And so he makes him sick. He takes away his wife. He takes away his children. He takes away his possessions. And you're like, what's going on here? And Job stands the test of those things and still has a right standing relationship with God. But after time, like most of us, uh, we get weak. We have moments of weak faith. And literally, Job doesn't relent on God. He goes off on God. He is angry toward God in the text. And as you read yells that, yeah, yeah, he yells at him. And yells at him. Yeah. And what's really cool about this is God's big enough for that. God's big enough for Job's wayward thinking, his wayward feelings, his wayward behaviors. But here's what Job does that most of us don't do. Job, after he doesn't relent on how angry he is with God, he sits around and he remains there long enough, mature enough to listen to God. And what does God do? He says, Job, I know how you feel. I know what you think. Now, let me put things back in order. And at the very end of the work of Job's writing, you will see God reveal his faithfulness. And Job responds to God's faithfulness and it increases his faith. The same thing with David, right? We all look and go, most of us would be like, yeah, I want to be like David because David's referred to as a man after God's own heart. If you look at the life of David, 
most of us don't really want that life. The guy's a murderer, an adulterer. If you read through the Psalms, he has had some really high highs, but he's had some really hard hearts, right? And uh, But the thing that makes him a man after God's own heart isn't his perfect nature. It isn't that he gets it right all the time. It's that even in his wrong, he sticks around to listen to the voice of God and trust that voice and follows it. And I think that that has been my life journey, man, is that there's been a lot of times where I'm like, I don't get this. I don't understand this. God, I'm angry about this scenario in my life or in somebody else's life, but then I have just always been willing to stick around and say, okay, Lord, I may not understand in this moment, this feeling that I have, this thought that I have, this behavior that's going on inside of me, but I'm going to stick around and listen. And as you listen, you learn. And as you learn, you mature. And I think that's there that we see the faithfulness of God, and then it matures our own faith or faithfulness. So you're married with children. Yeah. How many kids you got? Four. How, um, they probably have quite the uh, starting point of, for this. So do they, uh, how, does a, how does a family kind of stick, stick together and learn about these kinds of things? What's, what do you think is the best way to learn? If like, so I'm a father, I've got three kids with Rachel. Um, what do you think the best way, since, since we're both men, we're yep. both married to women, um, since I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm an, I'm an authority on just what it is that I think I'm doing in the moment, okay? So from that, from that vantage point, what could somebody like me do with my three kids to have them um, know some of the things that, that you know. Do they have to study? Do they have to go to church? Do they have to um, have good leadership by myself? What are some of the things that, because um, you come across this all the time. I mean, yeah. you are standing in a church, in a service, and you're speaking to like your audience, like what's the average number of people that are listening if on, on, on a Sunday? When you're speaking, yeah, it, on an overall Sunday, it's gonna be around a thousand people. A thousand? Yeah. At one time? Uh, no, we have two or, services, so there's a couple oh, in hundred day, in each service. Yeah, in a day. It, a thousand people in, yeah. in a day. Okay, that's a lot. So, do you think that the average person in Quincy and the surrounding area, do you think they need something like that to kind of uh, once a week to kind of brush off the past week, look forward to the next week? I personally think that humans need lots of work. They have to work very hard. What is the best way for somebody like me, another man, another father, what would you tell somebody that they want those things that you know about faith and steadfast and, and the work that it puts in to living a good life? How are we supposed to do this? It's very difficult for some people. Oh, it's super hard. Yeah. I mean, what do we do? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, when you're hungry, what do you do? Eat. You eat. And you decide whether you're going to eat trashy food or good food, right? And that will determine how hungry you're going to be in what length of time. Okay. And I think there's just some level of certain disciplines, right? Uh, you know, it's been said that you are the sum total of the five closest people in your life, right? And so um, what does that look like? Who are the five people that you surround yourself with? And that's who you're becoming. And so I think if you want to um, be around things that 
enhance your faith and enhance the faith of your family, then you need to be in proximity to that. I think the gathering of the body of Christ is one place to do that. Um, and I think it's helpful and healthy for people. Uh, you know, I think we date our significant other, our spouse, because it's not because we've never seen them before, or it's not because we don't spend time with them, but we set aside a specific time so that we can have specific conversations so that we can reflect and ponder and dream together, right? And that's kind of the way I see a Sunday morning is it's a refocusing. It's not like I'm not spending time with God any other time throughout the week, right? You're asking questions all the time. You're thinking about God. What would you have me do here? You're thinking to yourself like, what am I going to teach my kid? Right, wrong, all of those moments. But taking that time, whether that's on a Sunday or some other time, to refocus is kind of that space where we just reconnect and then live out of that connection. Is it as simple sometimes as asking? So, so for example, um, ever heard of the book called The Secret? Yep. So, so there's all these metaphysical self-help books you know, at, at, at the bookstores, right? I used to say the library, and then I used to say Barnes & Noble, and now I just say, I don't know, books. I mean, do somewhere. people, are there books? There's books somewhere, but not a lot. But um, anytime that I've ever read a self-help book, generally speaking, I was taught to ask, ask the universe. And I mean, we could say, you know, you're asking God. Yep. Um, we're asking this intelligent designer, you know, because even if this is a simulation, even if this is a simulation, did someone create the simulation? Who's the programmer? Didn't somebody create the simulation, right? Yep. So even, I mean, if we are just stuck in a video game, I'm not saying we are, but we would ask the programmer, the creator, where do I go now? Help me. I'm stuck. You know, I've played video games before and like literally gotten stuck. You know, those yep. role-playing games where you get stuck in the corner of the house and you can't get out. So you have to, you have to turn the video game off and on. And if you save it there, you're still stuck there. <laughs> but um, what do you think about just, um, what is it like the lonely cry in the wilderness where you yell out, say, help me? Do you think that works? Do you think that helps? Yeah, and I do think it helps. And I think that that's probably... Um, where Jesus changes everything, right, is uh, I would suggest that that's why most people lack faith is because they lack a connection with Jesus because it's like we view God oftentimes as like, oh, he's far off out there somewhere uh, because it just feels like, well, I don't know what I would do with that. But the crazy thing about the God of the scriptures is that in Jesus, he came near us. Right? He joined the simulation. He joined the game. He joined and said, hey, this is what it looks like to have heaven collide with earth. And he gave us his very life and the model of that, right? So I think for me in a day-to-day -day basis, it's kind of like, um, okay, I'm struggling with my family. Or I'm struggling with this person or I'm struggling internally with myself. It's kind of like, well, what did Jesus do in that moment? What did he reconnected with the Father? He called upon the Spirit to, to be there. And I think that we have that opportunity, and that's what makes um, faith come alive. Uh, the scriptures, these sacred words, said they're living and active. And to me, as you read them and you walk in the ways of Jesus, you start seeing that come alive in yourself. And it moves you from going like, I don't know if this works, to like, oh, this is the way. And I think that that helps people. You know, whenever, when I was a kid... Um, let me back up. My, my, my daughter, Alejandra, is in third grade. 
at St. Peter. And she's about um, to have her first communion and confirmation. And I'm not going to get into this right now, but <laughs> you know how I feel about this because I've told you about this. How yeah. I don't like them yeah. all wrapped into one. I like to space it out, but that's for another. Maybe I'll have... Maybe I'll have one of the Catholic priests on sometime and, and say, explain to me why the bishop wants to put communion and confirmation like smashed together into one little quick like thing as opposed to separate, separate it out, right? But um, my question is, in terms of like a child trying to find out truth or an adult trying to find out truth, when I was a kid, I used to hear, you know, follow Jesus. And Jesus would say, come follow me, or uh, the only way to, to the Father is through me, okay? That is very difficult to mm -hmm. do. I mean, moment to moment, maybe not, maybe glimpses of it where you are faced with a choice. I can do A or B. B is the wrong choice. A is the correct choice. And then you think to yourself, oh, I'll choose A because I'm such a good person and I'm going to follow, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. But can it really be done? Can it? I mean, come on. I encourage everybody to try to do it. But can it be done? I mean, is it being done? Has there anybody, has anybody ever been born after Jesus was, like after Jesus's time on earth was over? Okay. I know Mary was still around. I know some of the apostles were. And were they... How well were they following Jesus? I mean, Jesus's actual disciples, how well were they actually following him? Them, the saints, all of the really good people that you and I know, what, percent, what percentage are they actually um, being efficient here? Because I, I think following Jesus is, woo, I mean, I can, I can do it in the next 30 seconds. I can do it. But then you tell me that I have to do it for the next year? I mean, really the next week, I don't even know how to do that. I'm going to have to fast, maybe. I'm going to have to have incredible discipline. Everything that comes out of my mouth is going to have to be genius. It, I mean, because I really think when you, when you read those ancient texts, when you read the Bible, when you look at those things, it's genius. It is mind-blowing geniusness at every turn. I mean, when someone says, you know, what's heaven like? And he goes... In my house, in my father's house, there are many rooms, something like that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, it's, it's all mind-blowing genius stuff that he said. But can it be done? I mean, do you know anybody that has truly followed Jesus? And this is a really hard question. I'm putting you on the spot here. I mean, how terrible. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. <laughs> is it going to take like 5,000, 10,000 more, 10,000 more years? Do humans have to be a lot more fully, I'm going to say the word evolved, because I don't know if that's offensive to like fundamentalist Christians or not. I'm not, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying like generally speaking, if someone hears you know, evolution or something like that, can it be done? Will it ever, will it ever be done? Is the next person who truly follows Christ going to be Christ himself? I mean, this is very difficult to do what Jesus did. I mean, what he did was, I mean, only he could do it. Yeah, right. Like, isn't that uh, the, the answer is with a resounding uh, no. Nobody can follow Jesus the way 
Jesus did. I, he just tells us that. Like, we've all sinned and fallen short, and we're going to continue to sin and fall short. And I don't care how Christian you are or non-Christian you are, we all uh, don't follow Jesus perfectly. That's what makes him say things like, uh, my way is the best way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, because it's only through his perfect life and his death and him beating death by raising from the dead and ascending back to God, advocating on your and I's behalf, right, that uh, he makes us right with God because we're not right with God. I did some things already today, and I'll likely do some things yet tonight that will distance me from God if it weren't for Jesus. And so it's not about necessarily, hey, how Jesus-like am I today? Yeah, of course I want to uh, be more like Jesus each and every day, but I'll never get there. It's only by the grace of Jesus that we can ever be right with God, and I think that's why it's called the good news. And that's, for me, why it's really hard when we kind of go back to the question of, like, hey, what's this atheistic thinking, and what do I do with that? The problem is, is that I have not found any other religion or way of living outside of the person in the work of Jesus that can do anything to close the gap between God and I because of my sin right? And so, when I look at that and I go like, man, I need to be right with God. I think most of us want that. Most of, nope, you don't go to funerals and people be like, there's not something after this. Isn't that kind of like when you go to a funeral, everybody at that point is like, oh yeah, rest in peace because there's something beyond this. I think that's innate inside of us and nothing in that coffin or in that urn makes us right with God other than Jesus, and so I don't have to be just like Jesus. I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Nobody moving forward in history is going to do that. But rather, how do I respond to Jesus and give my life to him? And then in giving my life to him, mature in that, right? As he gives me okay, so, a new identity. So, okay. So not necessarily you have to be like Jesus. You just have to look at what he did, what he said, and try to listen and try to do some of those things. Like in terms of of what he actually said. So let's talk about like just an example of that. What would be what would be um, something that he said that we can work on? Can you Yeah. What what is an example of that of 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 something that he said that we can try to do? Because we can't be like him. Yeah, we literally can't do what he did. I mean, we're not going to be able to turn water into wine. We can't walk on water. We can't raise Lazarus. Um Oh man, you know what Curtis Settler said once? one of our meetings and i i can reference our meetings right i think I, so i can reference them i don't have to go into detail as long about as pain's it. cool with it pain's cool <laughs> if pain's listening he's like no don't mention the meetings no um pain's pain's wonderful meetings that we've been doing for four years um you know what he said we were talking about lazarus and curtis said well you said it or, or curtis said it he said um if it was profound it was from curtis Really? He, he does. <laughs> Curtis does say a lot of profound things. He said, do you know why Jesus yelled out Lazarus's name, come out? And I said, what do you mean? He said, Jesus said, I guess they were at like some massive burial ground. And there, was a, 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 there were tombs everywhere. And they had to walk to Lazarus's tomb. And Curtis said, do you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. I go, I don't know why. And Curtis said, because if Jesus would have just said, 
come out. Everybody would have come <laughs> came out. <laughs> and I don't like everybody. Everybody would have come out came out of, out of the tombs. And and I'm I was laughing. He goes, no, I'm serious. I'm like, oh really? So I I think that's a neat that I liked that. So Curtis, I mean, if Curtis was either being serious or he was making a fun joke, but regardless, it's a profound thing mm -hmm. to say. Uh, next phase of questions. Your wife, Jenny, how'd you meet? Dude, uh, we're like uh, elementary sweethearts. It's kind of strange what? that way. Um, yeah, I we ran into each other. Uh, she was she's a year older than me, and I remember uh, we were at the swimming pool, and I said to my brother, like, I'm gonna marry that girl someday. How old were? And old? I was probably fourth, fifth grade, um, and stuff. And so then we started dating uh, in junior high. She broke my heart because we went to separate schools. And so she was like, I want to uh, break up with you because I might run into some people at my junior high school uh, that I might want to date. And then uh, when she stepped into high school, she decided to change her mind. And um, I don't know why she came back to me, but she's like, uh, can we date again? So we dated all through high school. And then uh, got married uh, after my freshman year of college and finished college, moved to Quincy, have four kids. Oh my gosh. What are the ages of the kids? So I've got a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and then a five-year-old. Which which one, Journey? Yep. Which one, where is Journey in the birth order? Yeah, she's the oldest. She's the oldest. Yep. So you do talk about all of your kids if Tyler's kids are all of your all of Tyler's children get mentioned when I'm around, but Journey seems to be the one that kind of um, I feel like I know little bits of 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 who she is yep. in terms of just you've said like really nice things and you've re you've referenced your family and whenever you do that um, it teaches me something. You wrote um, out, out, out on on a little piece of paper one time. Um, Payne gave us some kind of exercise and you wrote it all out on a piece of paper. And I have that piece of paper on my fridge still <laughs> of yours. <laughs> Cause I don't, I'm, I'm serious. That's awesome. Um, we have three refrigerators. It's on one of them. Okay. Uh, lots of magnets, kids, artwork, and Tyler's game plan for life pretty much. But uh, um, I don't think I've met your children, but when you speak of them, I feel like I know a little, a little bit, a little bit about them. You seem to have a really neat family, and whenever, um, so my wife knows Jenny, yep. and says just amazing things. Just you have a, you, you've done a really good job. She's done a really good job, and I'm along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking earlier about like, uh, you know, how do we teach our kids? I think honestly, most of us adults need to open our eyes and look and listen from our kids, and we'll learn a lot more. Right. Our yeah. kids are profound um, by design. Uh, they're genius by design. And I think sometimes like the world sucks genius out of us. It sucks profoundness out of us. Mm. And I think sometimes that's why us adults need to take a look backwards and go like, man, look at the creativity of the junior hire. Sometimes we like, hey, the junior hire, they don't, uh, they're idiots, right? And it's like, they're not. They are trying to explore and figure things out long before the world crushes that spirit with inside of them. So as much as I'm trying to invest in my kids, I look at it as an opportunity for them to invest in me and keep me uh, thinking creatively and exploring. What are the, 
two times that you have service on Sundays? So we do a service at 9 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. And then okay. all of that's online as well. So Okay, what is the website? Uh, MadisonParkChurch.com. Awesome. I always enjoy our conversations. That's it. We're done. Love it, dude. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. AMB Properties is Quincy's largest apartment rental company with hundreds of units available. They offer short-term and long-term rentals with one up to four bedroom apartments. AMB Properties meets the needs of its tenants with care, compassion, and a quality of service that exceeds expectations. AMB Properties also has a convenient tenant app for you to do your payments or make repair requests. Give them a call today. A and B Properties, 217-919-8080, Quincy.